Hi, I'm Aline. I'll be reading from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hi, I'm Jasmine and I'll be reading John 3 verses 1 to 15. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are the teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you, have, you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not... Do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who's come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Well, it's good morning again, isn't it? As we continue now on our series in John, which doesn't have a lot longer to go. We've only got a couple more messages on John. Next week we'll have a, um, a Father's Day message. So guys, I hope you all like drag racing. And ladies, I hope you can all be patient with us fellas that may or may not like drag racing. Because we'll be looking at that next Sunday. 
And there are, there are some Christian parallels even to drag racing. So with that little thought in mind, why don't we bow our heads and uh, we'll just open it, uh, pray over this sermon. Thanks. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you've given us your word. I thank you, Lord, that it's our map for, for life, Lord. It's our compass, Father. Our, uh, our path home to you, Lord, as we follow its ways and the words you teach us. So, Lord, we would pray at this time that, Lord, that you will teach us your word yet again and that you will apply it to our hearts, that you may build us up in our faith and draw us closer to Jesus. Amen. So, recapturing uh, John, last week we saw Jesus as rewriting religion, wanting to replace ritual with relationships and pennies with prayer. Now, I hope in my time here, should it be long or should it be short or in between, that that little phrase, ritual, replacing ritual with relationship, is something that sits in your soul and just marinates there for the time until we meet Jesus, each of us meets Jesus. Of course, there's lots of opportunities in this world for ritual, but it's relationship Jesus hungers for. It's just relationship what Jesus died for. After all, we are his brothers and his sisters, and that's what relationship is about. Now, we're going to get on. You might like to read ahead for the next couple of weeks, so we're going to get back onto ritual and relationship when we look in uh, John 4.27 about how Jesus came that we may worship in spirit and in truth. So just uh, have a look at that and see if you can make some sense out of uh, that one as well because this all flows together very, very well, as I trust you'll find. So Jesus is a change agent. That's what he did last week, and that's what he's going to do today too. We'll look more at that uh, in a moment, won't we? He wants us to understand his true identity. And so when we grasp that Jesus has an identity we all need to know, it means he's a change agent wherever he would go or, would, or whoever he would meet. Now, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, not a theme that, regularly explored, uh, but nevertheless, here he is showing that he's a prophet. Because a prophet is a, is a person that comes to a nation or comes to another person and, say, and calls for repentance, calls for change in their life. And, of course, that's what the whole Old Testament prophecy did, didn't it? it? was calling the Israelites, calling the Jews to repentance, that they would turn once again to the ways of the Lord. And Jesus is talking to, to um Nicodemus today, and he's unpacking a lot of Nicodemus's false thinking. And so he's, he's having an attempt at a change for one man and one man's life. That's the nature of Jesus. He's in the changing business, a change agent. Or you could say that Jesus is polarizing. Some will always inquire of him and get him correct, as indeed it appears Nicodemus does, while others won't inquire of him at all and leave him wrong. Can you ever, uh, have you ever heard somebody say, I don't want to go into a church because uh, the, the roof may fall on me? Now, there's a person that doesn't want to meet Jesus, wants to flee Jesus. It's almost as if they are saying, one, I know of Jesus, but I'm not going to confess him. And two, there is judgment coming, and I don't want to put myself in a place of judgment. Now, that's a good old Aussie saying, I can't go into a church. I'm afraid the roof will fall on me. But there's a lot more to that, isn't there, when you think about it. It's got a, a threat of judgment 
tinge to, to that joke, and as well as a, as a fact of a squashing of Jesus' identity so that he doesn't have this, whoever says it, the manner of the lady, doesn't actually have to meet Jesus and uh, go into his presence, or so they think, by going into a church. So that is truly the nature of Jesus, he is polarising. So today we examine change within a man, and not just around men, as was the temple experience last week. Now it's an individual episode and not a collective episode or a group episode that uh, John's writing about that we may understand our good Lord better. Last week, Jesus was reprogramming the thinking of many men. Today, he's just reprogramming the thinking of just one man. And one, one book I read described Nicodemus as a biblical man of mystery. And we're going to go back to that right at the end of this message. Because I think that's not a bad uh, actress, not a bad reflection upon Nicodemus. He sort of appears and he disappears uh, in almost the same pace. So please, can we remember the thought and chapter flow of Scripture is as much inspired as the text? There appears to be a time gap between chapter 2 and chapter 3. But that doesn't matter. There is no gap in thought. Jesus still reveals his identity. And he still requests change. And of course, that's what the word of God's for. It's a hammer, isn't it? It tells me, it tells me in the Old Testament uh, that it uh, forges us and it shapes us into the fashion of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And the harder that is for us, the better we find out that, that we will become. And truly the peace of the good Lord will enter us and enter our life as we continue to be moulded and shaped into his into his shape. So Jesus continues on in his busyness today. And I think all through the gospel it's true to say that Jesus is busy. He's always occupied and each of the things that Jesus does reveals further his identity. So first he gathers disciples, uh, then he does a miracle with water, then he takes a whip in the temple, and now he meets a nocturnal Pharisee. I don't know if they are nocturnal creatures or not, or not. I don't know a lot about Pharisees. But Nicodemus comes out, and so Jesus is ministering in the night as much as he did in the day. Jesus is teaching that the way into God's kingdom isn't a way made by man. No amount of pigeons sold Old Testament passages learned as the Jews did or rituals enacted or exacted open any kingdom doors. Because as we shall see, the worship of the Father, sorry, the worship the Father desires is worship in spirit and in truth. Because when I'm worshiping in spirit, I'm in a relationship. I'm joining, I'm joining spiritually with the good Lord. So we have an unlikely visitor, a Pharisee. A Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Exactly the type of person Jesus railed against in chapter 2 and exactly the type of person that actually uh, called for Jesus' death uh, three years after these events. So he's an unlikely member, uh, uh, an unlikely person to visit Jesus, but nevertheless he does. So he comes at night, Nicodemus, and I th think it's a reasonable to read between the lines and say, yes, he has come between the night because he didn't want to be seen to be approaching Jesus. He wanted to approach Jesus, but he didn't want to be known as doing so. So he comes at night. So the miracles that Jesus had already shown 
are an authentic are an authentication of Jesus of his authority, which we looked at last week, his identity and the person who he is. So I wonder if that's why Nicodemus came. Nicodemus came because he'd seen the miracles, and he was starting to sense of the he was starting to sense the authentic nature of our good Lord. Now the problem is with Nicodemus, as it is with so many other religious people. Religious equipment is no advantage in understanding Jesus because Jesus isn't here for religion. He's not here for ritual, but he's here for relationship. So this um, this short conversation that's recorded in John's Gospel here uh, leaves uh, Nicodemus with some kind of puzzlement and a misunderstanding at least part of the way through it because he doesn't get the idea, does he, of flesh and spirit. Now, equipment for religion is no equipping for relationship, nor understanding worship in spirit and in truth. With Jesus, what is most important is not what I know, but who I know. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha went and sat down and uh, uh, Martha, sorry, went to the kitchen and cooked a baked dinner, uh, while Jesus, uh, while Mary sat down at Jesus' feet. And Martha complains to Jesus, help it, tell her to come and help me. And Jesus defends Mary and says, she has done what is right because she was sitting at the feet of the good Lord, not being busy for the Lord. And that's a great conflict we have, particularly, I think, in evangelical Christianity, that we can get so busy for the Lord that we actually don't sit with the Lord. And so we think we're doing the right things. We're living like we're working for salvation but we are speaking like we are saved by grace. So this is um, uh, nexus that needs to, be, needs to be resolved between working for the Lord and sitting with the Lord. And both are necessary and certainly in a, in a generation or in a faith that, that honours work, it's a lot harder then to take the time out to sit because you think you've got to be doing. But that's what Jesus is after. He's not after ritual, he's after relationship. So Jesus and Nicodemus are chatting quite literally on two different planes. Now they're both religious leaders, but they're not on the same plane. Jesus is talking about two births, a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Jesus is talking about the rebirth of the man, not reformed but changed into a different person. Now Nicodemus you could describe as a man of letters and he was still he was still grappling with the teaching of an obscure carpenter. Now that harks me back to what we said uh, last week and the week before. The let's never forget to honour those the world doesn't. See Jesus didn't have the academic qualifications that Nicodemus had. Jesus <clears throat> counted himself as part of the poor and the lonely. Jesus was not a man who had a house. He had nowhere to lay his head. But he, he who was a poor and unschooled man, Acts 34, 13, was teaching a man of letters. So let us never forget to honour those the world doesn't. Nicodemus was honouring somebody 
that his world wasn't doing because the lost, the least, and the last, and the lonely, Jesus came to die for. Now, you can uh, sum this up with the thief on the cross. You can sum this up with one man knowing Jesus for a number of hours, I suspect, and one, one man being in such a relationship with Jesus that he would be in heaven with Jesus that day. Now, that's the lost, the least, the last, and the lonely, the man on the cross. And it wasn't the man who was educated, he was a thief, and he made it to heaven. Now, I don't want to dismiss education, but I do want to elevate heart, heart above the head. Now, we're made as people in the image of God, so we need both those facilities. But Jesus is looking for a change of heart, not just for a filling of the mind. The physical cannot apprehend the spiritual. There needs to be spiritual inter intervention, and that's what uh, what Nicodemus is starting to, to learn. In another little quote that I've become common to use, there needs to be a dose of the ghost, a dose of the Holy Ghost in people's lives, such that they can understand the spiritual, because the physical cannot apprehend the spiritual without the Holy Ghost coming in. Now, Men can no more connect with the way of the wind than they can connect with the way of the spirit. But you can ask each day, and I wonder if you've done, if you've done this. In Ephesians 5, 18 or 19, uh, Paul talks about um, praying daily for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if we leak the Holy Spirit so that we need to get infilled each day. I don't know if... The Lord's guiding us just to take more and more of the eternal Holy Spirit. But each day we pray continually for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's what brings us the insight and the understanding to spiritual things because the carnal does not grasp the spiritual without a spiritual intervention first. So then there's the flesh and the spirit that Jesus talks about with Nicodemus. There are two distinct aspects of human life flesh and spirit, as we've been looking at. Now, I want to make this clear, and this is a quote I stole off somebody. I can't remember who, who, but it's a good quote. There is no evolution from flesh to spirit. One does not lead to the other. One is finite, the other is eternal. So I need to sow to the spirit and not just to the flesh. They don't match. They don't marry. I need to ask for the spirit. One's finite, one's eternal. The way we each enter God's kingdom is a divine initiative. It is a completely new existence by virtue of the Holy Spirit's unseen work that we can't measure, that we can't tap into, but he comes when we pray. So reform is not just enough. Faith is being made new by the Spirit of God. It is not just dusting off some old habits. Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. This is a change. It's not just a morphing. This is a complete new person that you have to become, must. There's an imperative there, isn't there? Without Jesus putting that must in our life, we can dwell along and coast. I think we're going all right. But until we receive his Holy Spirit, we must. Sorry, until we... If we don't receive his Holy Spirit, we're not in the position of being able to be changed into the likeness of God. So 
Reform isn't enough and is no halfway house. Being a Christian, I've used this phrase I learned a long time ago. It's just being like being pregnant. You are or you aren't. There's no halfway house. And that's what Jesus here is saying to Nicodemus. You must. It's not something that you can choose for. You must be born again. Now, so what happens is there's a Christian reversal. One teacher is surprised by another ignorant teacher, although, although they both have apparently studied the same curriculum. Nicodemus studied it in colleges. Jesus studied it with, the, with his father in heaven. Obviously, he was born with some of it too. But what one teacher learnt, the other teacher taught. What one teacher learnt didn't get to where the other teacher is. So Jesus is surprised, or apparently surprised, that Nicodemus is still ignorant. Of course, Nicodemus is still living in the flesh. So being a Christian is being accustomed to being opposite this world. And the more and more I understand the nature of virtue, a teaching in Matthew 5 about <clears throat> about blessed are those who are the peacemakers and so on and the Sermon on the Mount, the more and more I understand about the virtue and the righteousness of life with Jesus Christ, the more and more I understand I'm going to be at odds with the things of the world and the way the world thinks, which is why Christians get lambasted uh, so um, so strongly on the debates that have been going around in this world for some years, and then, of course, the, the vote two years ago. Now, remember, one, that we are opposite to the world. That's why Jesus came, to take us to a place that's permanent and per works perfectly, unlike this world. And two, we live for that audience of one. We're not in the business of trying to be popular. First, we are in the business of actually being faithful or righteous. So what are some takeaways from this? I think Nicodemus was a, was a fairly wise man because he approached Jesus. He approached Jesus to inquire of him and to listen to him. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, if I want to approach Jesus and I go and approach Jesus, I'm a wise person. I don't let fear get in the way. I don't let... Um, people's opinion get in the way. I just want to go and talk with Jesus. I'm going to listen to him and let him teach me. So that's the first takeaway. There's no second one is there's no evolution from flesh to spirit. I need an intervention. I need a change. And that's when the Holy Spirit enters our life. And three, we are told to seek the Holy Spirit each day. And then we can have the mind of the Lord. And the last takeaway is a religious education is no match for a man who has the experience of Christ's presence in his life. I know men, <coughs> I have known men, I don't know many men uh, in this category now, but I have known men that know the Bible far superior than I do, or far superior than a lot of other people do, but they don't know Jesus. The Bible's just a textbook. He says, Jesus says, doesn't he? You come, to this, you come and search the scriptures because you think there is salvation, but you refuse to come to me. It's coming to Jesus that he wants. A religious education is good, but it's no match for a man who has the experience of Christ's presence in his life. Now, Nicodemus, what happened to Nicodemus? Just a small postscript here. 
Did Nicodemus get converted? That's the question. In John 7, 50-51, Nicodemus is speaking before the Sanhedrin as the Sanhedrin are working out what to do with Jesus. And what he does, and you can look this up, we won't develop it too far now, John 7, 50-51, he was set on giving Jesus a fair go before the Sanhedrin. And then we roll the, the, the time forward, the clock forward three years, to John 19. And John 19, Jesus is, uh, Nicodemus is described as helping uh, Joseph of Arimathea prepare Jesus' body for burial. So it would, and that would be a public thing that he would have done, and people would know that uh, Nicodemus was sticking up for Jesus. He may know that uh, he visited him, they knew he stuck up for him, and now he's bearing, preparing the body for burial in assistance of Joseph. So you would kind of guess that, yes, Nicodemus did become a Christian. But he is a bit of a mystery man because there are only these three, uh, these three references to him in the Bible. So, guys, Jesus once again unpacks man's thinking. Jesus once again isn't backward in coming forward and drawing lines in the sand by saying you must be born, uh, you must be born again. But this is the same Jesus that comes into our life, just not to reform us, but to change us into his image. Let's bow our heads. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us a purer and more peaceful way of life. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to live in your virtues and live with your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you want us to shine into the light of others, Father. So we pray, Lord, that that light will grow more deeply as we pray each day for your Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us and change us into your image. That maybe one day we will, sorry, not maybe, Lord, but that each day we will bring you glory. Amen.